examining the latest research and telling you about the latest breakthroughs. The Science and Research Show is on the scope. I'm talking with Hilda Bastian, the chief editor of PubMed Commons. Hilda, in recent years, it's come to light that really the majority, it turns out, of scientific research cannot be replicated. This calls into question the validity of thousands of research studies, maybe tens of thousands. And I think it was you who said that this term, research reproducibility, is really a euphemism for all of science's problems. What do you mean by that? Well, when you look at the way that people try to define it, they they struggle with putting it into different little boxes and breaking it down into parts. Um, but when they start to talk about what they, what needs to change to solve those problems that they're identifying, they basically start to tackle every problem uh, to do with science from how it's done to how it's reported and how people deal with it afterwards and so on. So uh, in effect, it's it's a euphemism, I think, for just anything that can go wrong in science because there are just so many things that can lead to science not being reliable. Yeah, so there's been a lot of talk about, um, you know, kind of steps people can take, scientists can take before they start the research, maybe planning it very carefully and very well. Steps they can take during the research, you know, recording things properly and being very careful and thorough. Um, something that I thought was interesting is, um, you know, what people can do after publishing their research. I think most of people think that once they publish their work, that's the end of the line. It's said and done. But um, you're looking at it a little bit differently. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. I think it's, it's really just getting published is a really quite important milestone in, a, in any kind of research project, but it isn't the end of it. Once something's published, it's really that's really the point at which other people can try to uh, engage with it. They can start to see whether they've got questions about it, whether the uh, you know whether there's enough information in the publication. Um, they can start to see errors that that nobody spotted or have questions about uh, the validity of certain things uh, that nobody could have spotted beforehand. Uh, and as well, people do other research. I mean, things move on uh, and then they can have consequences for things that were published before. Now, sometimes that can be your own work, uh, that you, you you do the next project and the next project and then you realise, gee, we were wrong back then or, you know, we found this mistake in it or uh, we'd rather people didn't read that, we'd rather they paid attention to this other paper as well. Um, so there, there are all sorts of things that happen uh, after a, a paper is published and, in fact, there's a lot more of that kind of engagement with other people often after than there is before. Quite often the only people who have had anything to do with a a project beforehand could be a a very small number of people that were actually, you know, writing it and then perhaps a a couple of peer reviewers and maybe an editor at the publication. The, the, The peer reviewers may have, you know, spent a half an hour reading the article or whatever, the, you know, the draft article. So, uh, so, for an awful lot of projects, if they're going to be of value, um, publication is really just the start, not the end. So, yeah, I could definitely see how, you know, once you open a uh, publication, published research up to a lot of people with maybe a lot of different backgrounds that or uh, expertise, that they can add their different perspective um, to what you're looking at. But is there a, uh, are there formalized ways for, for collecting those comments for um, for kind of starting that that second wave of discussion it's kind of it's kind of patchy because some journals have very very well 
established systems for that, very lively online communities around their journal and established ways of getting letters to the editor published and reacting to what people say, um, whereas other journals don't accept any feedback at all once something's published. So all they accept it for only a very short period of time. Now we've got uh, PubMed Commons, which is the project that I'm involved with, which enables people who are authors of scientific papers to comment on other scientific papers that are in PubMed, which is this enormous biomedical database. And there are other kind of websites that do that sort of thing. Um, but it is uh, it is largely fragmented around the uh, around the place and people are, are kind of engaging with research in lots of different ways. They're talking about it at conferences. They're talking about it at journal clubs, which are um, which is sort of gatherings where people get together regularly to talk about research, kind of like a book club. Uh, they talk about it at conferences, they're writing blog posts, they're talking on Twitter, um, they're emailing authors, you know. There's this uh, vast amount of activity that can be going on. But I think you would argue that this kind of re- post-publication reflection phase is really important. And as you say, this could mean sort of changing the culture of science. I mean, how, how do you begin doing something like that? Well, I think that there's that there's a lot of different ways that it has to happen, and and it is a really quite a big cultural challenge. Um, I think part of the part of the first solution for that is for more of this to be done in the open. So, um, a real lot of peer review, both before publication and then afterwards, uh, can happen sort of behind curtains, if you like, and nobody sees it. Uh, sometimes people are doing it by email, or people have have made a public comment or criticism of a piece of work, but then the way that the authors and the journals deal with it uh, is completely uh, intransparent. Uh, They don't respond, you hear nothing, and you've got no idea what happened behind the scenes. And so some of the kind of process I think that's going to be quite important is for more of this stuff to come out in the open. Um, I think that's both important for people learning how to do it because they can see and see by other people's responses what actually is a useful, constructive way to go about these things and find out what works. Um, But it's also important for there starting to be some kind of consequences for this. It's just too easy at the moment for people to just ignore even really quite serious, profound uh, criticisms of their work, uh, which is really problematic for for that piece of work but also for any other work that they're going to do if they're going to you know continue making the same mistake uh, and not with with their confidence not dented even a slight slightest bit uh, by the fact that they're probably completely wrong in what they're doing so uh, i think i think there's a, a range of things that has to happen but that very thing of asking people to be open and asking for for more consequences are really quite profound uh, People are quite uh, find all those things around openness quite challenging, um, partly because they kind of hang on to ideas and thoughts to use later, perhaps in the background of a paper of their own. Um, so there's a level of uh, there's a level where people actually have to actually take that time uh, to go and contribute their thoughts about somebody else's work. Uh, in a you know in a timely fashion and so on, um, then you have those whole issues of editors and journals and different people or even funding agencies. They all kind of finish something and they move on to the next thing. They're not necessarily continuing to invest 
effort into the great big pile of things that they're you know that they're gathering up behind themselves so uh, they're looking at the, the, the new articles coming out not going back and revisiting all those thousands if not millions of ones that are lying behind them you know if scientists start taking these these steps that we talked about you know it, uh, incorporating constructive criticism um, you know having this time of reflection um, how, how do you think that could improve science it's very clearly for the person the person who we're talking about who's doing the work there's a clear benefit whatever it is that they do next. Um, there's an important benefit if if this process of criticism also involves people actually correcting the errors when they're seen there or retracting a paper uh, without without as much fuss and bother as happens now. If people are actually more uh, you know more willing to actually correct the mistakes. Um, then there's also a really big benefit to everybody else who might be using it. I mean You've got people, of course, when somebody publishes something, they might go and start off and spend the next two years of their life trying to extend the work or the idea that they got from somebody else's publication. Now, if uh, the people who did that publication, the people of that journal now no longer believe that that publication is right and uh, and they they kind of don't let the broader community know, uh, then there's going to be people that are just wasting um, a colossal amount of time um, trying to do something that's never, ever going to work. Um, and that's uh, that has enormous consequences for them, and it can have enormous consequences, obviously, for something that gets used, even if this is clinical research or so on. You know, you can have patients and doctors making decisions based on information that's fundamentally flawed, and uh, and so that becomes absolutely essential um, that that people know. Look, don't touch this. Interesting, informative, and all in the name of better health. This is the Scope Health Sciences Radio.